0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Flying High with Flutter. I'm your host, Alan Weima. Just wanted to kind of reach out to you guys and say uh, if you guys are interested in getting some uh, custom Flutter work or work in other technologies, we specialize in Flutter, Rust, and uh, Elixir. So if you're looking at needing some help in any of these kind of technologies, training, or even just some, like I said, some, just some work in general, Please reach out to us. Go to our website at www.plangora.com. That's P-L-A-N-G-O-R-A.com and go ahead and contact us. Now back to the main show. We have a recurring guest. Well, maybe recurring uh, as time goes on, but second time in a short period of time is uh, Matt Carroll, who is uh, super declarative online. You may have seen his videos. Uh, Lately, I've been seeing more and more of you popping up on Twitter uh, with your very... How would you say that um
1: correct my correct view on state management uh
0: not not even just that topic but you're you're very outspoken on twitter i guess i could say it like that i don't want to say i don't want to say you're you're correct or you're not correct right it's really uh it's it's tough to say that
1: that's okay i'll say it i'll say that i'm correct and then you can just nod along
0: i'll, I'll nod is fine uh anyways so, why don't you go ahead and maybe quickly introduce yourself if people who didn't catch you last time or uh, don't know who you are at all?
1: Sure. So, my name is Matt Carroll. I'm known online as Super Declarative. I'm also the chief of the Flutter Bounty Hunters. I was a member of the Flutter team for a couple years. I left in 2020 to work in all things Flutter. So, that's Flutter education, Flutter consulting, Flutter contract development. And the contract development is both at an application level for clients as well as on open source Dart and Flutter packages, uh, which is the nature of the Flutter Bounty Hunters. We are an agency that works exclusively and professionally on Dart and Flutter packages, which is why I'm wearing this awesome cowboy hat here today. I'm a little less of a bounty hunter today than I was last time and a little bit more of a cowboy. But uh, anything in that uh, Western bounty hunter kind uh, kind of look, I'm happy to put on as the chief of the Flutter Bounty Hunters. And uh, Alan, am I the first guest to make a second appearance on the show?
0: No, I think you're the third guest.
1: I feel a lot less special now. All right, well, if I come back a third time, will that be a first? I would say so. Okay, then we'll have to pencil that in. I got to be, I have to have something unique about me on the show.
0: Why stop at three? Why don't you keep going for, you know, you got to set a high bar so it's harder for people to reach it, right?
1: Yeah, let's do it. It'd be like Jeopardy. I'll be the guy who wins so many times that no one can ever catch me.
0: Yeah, but you have to have I think he had some kind of weird, uh what was it? Like some kind of he figured out how to how to hit the buzzer faster than everybody else, I think, right was his main thing.
1: Well, like a good thing we don't have a buzzer then.
0: Yeah, but um I was just thinking about bunny hunters, right? So when I watch bounty hunters and stuff, usually they kick open doors. Are you doing that to get clients and so forth? you just kicking open doors and putting the contract on their on their table and tell them to sign it? And then taking their house as collateral?
1: I can't give away the secrets. If I tell everybody how I do it, then they'll be able to evade it.
0: Ah, uh, yeah, there you go. You don't bring mace, do you?
1: Whatever it takes. But always zip ties. Always got to have zip ties. Yeah,
0: that's a, those are also cheap too, right? So it's a good choice to have. Um, Cool, but why don't, before we go too crazy like we did last time, which is not a negative thing, but I think a lot of people got a lot of interesting knowledge from you, co- including me too, um... We're here to talk about super editor, right which is very interesting. and I think I don't know if we talked about this on the episode, but uh, why is it called super editor, right? So the interesting part is that you're super declarative. the company that worked with you is super list, I believe. So is there any relation to any of these or just happened to come out that way?
1: As you said, my educational brand is super declarative, and the com- the primary funding company that needed this capability of super editor was called superlist and so it seemed only natural that we would call this super editor, even though our two companies themselves have no connection. Uh, We started at our own times for our own reasons. And uh, where I am, of course, a Flutter educator and developer, Superlist is is a company putting together a product. They're working on a productivity suite. Part of that suite, part of what you need to be able to do in productivity apps is edit rich content. You want your your titles, your headers, your subheaders, paragraphs, images, links, you need all that stuff in a kind of document format in a productivity app. So they ne- they needed something like Super Editor. They were willing to fund it, I was willing to build it. And so for about the last year, we've been cranking on that project.
0: Well, that's interesting though. How how did you I I think a lot of people who are in Flutter um they uh, you know, they're, they're very beginner programmers because learning Flutter, I think, is pretty straightforward compared to other things like C or Java, so forth. Uh, you know, they always want to know, how can I get clients, right? So how did you actually manage to get this kind of client? Would you know somebody on the team or they just reached out to you because of your, you know, your your marketing skills or kind of what happened?
1: I think he may have been getting some signals from the community that there was a need for some kind of rich text editing. So Chris uh, brought some members of the community together. Some of them had worked on various rich text pieces, nothing like a full-fledged editor, but more than just you know a text field. And then also some companies that might be interested in, in using such a thing. It just so happened that at the end of that conversation and the end of the early investigation, pretty much all the developers that were brought in disappeared. They all got busy doing other stuff. The other companies disappeared. And it, it whittled down to me being the one developer willing to do it and Superlist being the one company willing to fund it. That's how it began. Now, I will say, uh, once we kind of got things moving, two other companies did come on board for partial funding. One is called Turtle. The other is called Clearful. Clearful is working on a, a journaling app, and uh, Turtle, they might all you might also consider them in the productivity space, but it's kind of a different type of solution, different approach than what Superlist is doing. Um, so they're kind of different products, but of course, they both need rich text. So at the end of the day, we ended up with three companies funding uh, a number of months of development and a number of different features.
0: Oh, that's that's very interesting. Okay. So basically, it, it sounds like open source work really is what got you uh, noticed by people and what got other people noticed to actually fund it and get into it, right?
1: Well, I think of Super Editor as the project that gave me the idea to start the Flutter Bounty Hunters. That project was just its own thing. I was just an individual working on it and leading it from a technical perspective, but I decided along the way that if we could do this with a few dozen other serious projects, we could really transform the open source ecosystem for Flutter and Dart, and if we can make this work for Super Editor, if companies need these things, you know, why not run the same model again and again for other projects? Because like I said on the last time we talked about this, I view it as a win-win-win, It's a win for me to get paid to do the Flutter work. It's a win for the company to get the tool that they need. And it's a win for the overall community to get a tool they wouldn't otherwise have. So if we can socialize this practice, we really do all win. The challenge is that it's, it may be tempting for a company to think of paying for open source as something they shouldn't have to do. It feels weird on, on the, on the face of it because we're so used to getting stuff for free. But what I point out to people is that the world of free open source is kind of this bimodal distribution. You either have really tiny projects with one or two people that spend nights and weekends on it until eventually they run out of steam and it kind of dies. Or you have these massive projects like Flutter itself or like Vue uh, or or Angular that are kind of these large organizational projects. Um, I would like to see something in the middle where you have a decent sized team that is committed but you don't necessarily suffer the organizational bureaucracy and you're not beholden to let's say a marketing budget because a lot of these projects are partially marketing uh, budgeted by marketing funds. So I think we need a middle ground. I think that's been pro- I think Super Editor has proven that we can do it and then the Flutter Bounty Hunters is my attempt to scale it.
0: Yeah, I mean I guess if you think about it actually no matter what project I mean it's actually always funded but Funded kind of indirectly. I mean, all these guys. I mean, they have to be able to live, and sadly, maybe not so sadly, right? You have to be able to somehow get your resources right—food, shelter, etc. So even if like the guy is a waiter, I mean, then the restaurant's still kind of paying for development of this in kind of an indirect way, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, bills are always getting paid. That's the thing to remember, and it's it's not even as if all open source is. Is charity so like the when you have two or three people working in their spare time that's charity, but go look at the Flutter team. Those developers are paid two to four hundred thousand dollars a year to do nothing but contribute to Flutter. Why shouldn't there be developers like us that are equally producing tools that people need who are paid uh, a market rate for the value that we're providing? Assuming, of course, that we are providing value.
0: Yeah, but I mean if. The only problem with this is, I mean, Google makes a, a crap ton of money, right, with their businesses. Uh, they have to see, I mean, they must calculate every single dollar to every single penny that they spend on a lot of things and say, okay, this is making sense. So we, we went back to like, if we go back to our previous talking, right, like what is it that Google sees in Flutter that makes them say that basically this is pennies in the bucket compared to the value that we get from Flutter? I mean, I guess it's like they get their own, I guess... If enough people use it, then they're going to also be contributing back, right? Then they see that as okay. We're actually saving money. Like we're getting hundreds of people contributing, but we're only paying for ten or twenty or thirty developers, etc. I don't know. I'm, I'm always kind of curious about what what's the value that they get out of this.
1: Yeah, it's going to be different for every company. It, obviously, any team within Google that uses Flutter and is able to reduce their uh, their payroll budget that's a win there may be a marketing side to this. There may be a future operating system side to this. I I don't have those answers, but I I think my point there really is just that clearly Google does believe that Flutter is worth the salaries of all the people working on it and they're getting paid astronomical salaries. So the idea that working on open source means you shouldn't get paid or there shouldn't be a business model. I think that's a really short sighted idea. And I think it's more of an accident of history that a lot of open source just happens to be charity work. The thing about charity is you eventually run out of money business. The whole point of a business model is that your work results in revenue, which pays your expenses, which results in more work, which generates revenue, which pays your expenses. You actually have something that you can repeat into the future. So that's what I'm attempting to do. And again, super editor is just kind of the first, the kind of a a prototype project along those lines but so far it's working really well we're producing things that the community needs in super editor and uh, we're making a lot of progress
0: you're also not the only developer on this one so uh, i think a lot of the team also from uh, super list is also working on this still right
1: i'm pretty much the sole developer in terms of the, the amount of code being committed there are the super list team does provide reviews on prs because it's always good to have eyes on what's going into a project you want to make sure it makes sense And uh, they obviously prototype with Super Editor to make sure the things that are going in are solving their problems. And I have weekly calls with their team to make sure we're on the right track and all those things. But as for the code that's actually in the project, the vast majority has come from me. There have been some contributions here and there from members of the Superlist team, but also uh, Osama at OSAXMA on GitHub. He's also contributed some things and he also does a really great job of stress testing the work that I do. So I'll put up a PR. And he'll use it in some of his projects and really try to put it to the test and provide some great feedback, which at the end of the day is probably every bit as important as contributing code. I know how to write code, but having someone help stress test what I create, that's a big help.
0: Okay. Uh, But what about testing, though? So I'm just thinking about stress testing. Okay. Another form, I mean, there's other forms of testing. I think you use a lot of golden tests and also you must use some kind of unit testing or something like that.
1: I use a lot of golden tests in general. I haven't used many in this project yet. Right now, we mostly have we're testing lower level things. So, for example, I created a concept called attributed text as a very low level construct in Super Editor. Are you familiar with attributed string uh, in uh, in Mac, like in uh, Objective C and Swift?
0: No, but I did go through your your stuff, so I'm familiar with the attributed uh, stuff. But yeah, why don't you sum up this kind of stuff?
1: Attributed text in Super Editor is inspired by attributed strings from uh, the kind of the mac world i'm sure there's a, a version of it anywhere you look because it's a common problem the problem is we have some text there is essentially metadata that takes up spans of the text now when i say metadata think about bold italic through. those are stylistic pieces of metadata but they are metadata so from this character to this character is bold well, you can also have a span that's italics, and the span that's italics and bold, they can overlap. They can. They, there's, there's no limitation on where italics and bold can coexist or not, and that's true for any of the pieces of metadata, including something like a link, for example. A link is metadata, so th- this character to this character is a link that when the user taps it, it opens up a URL, that kind of thing. Well... Very early on, we had to answer the question as to how we were going to represent such a thing. Flutter out of the box provides the concept of inline spans, which include text spans. And that would sound like the right place to go, except that data structure is optimized for rendering. It's optimized because every every location in the text where there's any change at all, like add bold, remove bold, any change at all, it chops it up into a completely different span. So if you have bold and italics like this, and for those who can't see me, my, I have two ranges that are overlapping. This should just be two spans, one span of bold, one span of italics. But in inline spans, it's three. It's the bold part, the bold and italics part, and then the italics part. And that you ha- you have to break them up like that. That is super inconvenient when you're just selecting text and tapping italics to go calculate those breakpoints. So I created something called attributed text, which is a string plus any number of metadata spans that you want, bold, italics, anything else. You can give them any name you want. You can interpret them however you want. You can stick arbitrary data on them. So a link attribute would also include a URL for the link. That's fine too. Attributed text maintains all of those spans independently. You never have to worry where other spans... If you're messing with bold, you never have to worry about italics. It's irrelevant to you. Now, attributed text, this kind of low-level construct, there are dozens of, of unit tests that that run individual configurations on attributed text to make sure that it it is structured the way we think it is. What happens when I add a span, remove a span, overlap spans, non-overlapping spans? What happens when there's a span that starts at zero or a span that's, that... Reaches all the way to the end or a span that covers the whole thing all of these places where you might have weird situations weird results we have unit tests that configure attributed spans and attributed text in that manner and then assert or expect that we have the structure we think we do that right there constitutes again dozens of our tests in the overall project we have an excess of 300 tests right now that number needs to be a lot higher. But, um, it's a decent number of tests where, for where we are. And a lot of those tests are in the lower level areas. And one of the reasons for that is that we're, we're still figuring out what the high level editor should do. What, what should that API look like? What should be configurable versus not configurable? What are, what are the natural pieces of composition when you're creating a custom editor? Well, if we wrap all that stuff with tests, then every time we want to change something, we have to kind of undo and redo the tests. That's fine when you're focused on production stability, but when you're still exploring the problem space, those things are just going to get in your way and they're going to incentivize you to actually not find the better solutions.
0: When you're designing this thing, I mean, like, have you, how did you come up with the overall design of this editor? Did you take some inspiration from other projects? Have you done a lot of reading or how do you actually come up with the design architecture of this?
1: Well, when when I first started, I think I mentioned this the last time we talked as well, but when i first started on super editor i had never even looked inside of a text editing controller in flutter so that's like the most fundamental piece of of text input that you would do with flutter without rich text if you're messing with a text field you probably have a text editing controller and i never even took the time to look into the inside of that object so i had no idea what i was doing and yet i was still able to get to where we are today so one thing I want to say to people is don't even if you're starting on a massive project don't let the size and scope of it deter you from trying to figure it out you can make a lot of progress along the way the point isn't to start with all the answers it's just to define the answers and keep pushing for the better answers so as I got started one thing I definitely did was poke around a lot of different editors because you know for the first time I needed to take an interest in how does medium do what it does? Like when you go into medium, what are the features here? What happens if I add a thing here or delete these characters over here? What if I drag and select from here to here? I start, I have all these curiosities now because for the first time ever, I have to think about these same things. What is a document selection? Um, what does it mean to select part of a paragraph and an image and part of another paragraph? And how do you represent that? And how do you run a deletion? And, What is the fundamental structure of a document? I didn't have any of these answers, but I did poke around, again, across Medium, uh, Google Docs, probably looked at Microsoft Word a little bit, Apple Notes, anything where there are well-established expectations for how the editor works. I tried to get a feel for what was in common or not in common, and from that I started to derive what... seemed to make sense as an implementation for super editor. But all along the way, I always kept in mind that super editor was never supposed to be just one editor. It's supposed to be a toolkit to make any editor you want. I was, I've tried to be very careful about not creating anything too monolithic. So I, I'm kind of living my two most favorite principles from the Flutter project itself, which is one embrace the act shave, which I saw that you mentioned on a recent episode. So embrace the yak shave means to, to really solve the whole problem, to find the root problems, solve the root problems, and then everything else kind of goes with it. But that yak shave metaphor means that you're kind of pulling on this string, always trying to find the end of the string or to shave the yak. uh, And you kind of have to shave the whole yak before you really make forward progress. The second principle is to embrace aggressive composition. Composition is what allows for configuration. The Flutter's early popularity was heavily based on the fact that widgets were so composable. Yes, it was portable, but in the early days, it was just Android and iOS. And in the earlier days, the Flutter organization even had the, they worked with the idea that even if all you build is an Android app, Flutter should be so useful that you should prefer to build an Android app with Flutter than the standard Android app. SDK essentially and that I think that was true in the early days people were choosing Flutter even if they were only building Android or only building iOS because the composition control of widgets was so immensely effective that it just blew away anything you were gonna do with a view hierarchy I've tried to bring that same understanding into super editor where rather than build some massive widget that internally does everything I have, for example, a layout widget that knows nothing about gestures uh, or text input or anything. It just knows how to lay out these things called components. It knows how to map from something in your document, like a paragraph, to a region on the screen in XY coordinates, and that's it. There's your document layout. And then in a different area, in a widget around that, I have keyboard input. So I have a focus node with a keyboard listener. And literally on desktop, every single key that you tap on your keyboard, we have a handler that ha- that does something to your document based on the keys that you're pressing. Around that, I have another widget, which brings in gesture detection. So when you're clicking and dragging or double tapping or triple tapping with your mouse, that widget knows how to apply your selection to what I call the edit context. The edit context has the, the document, which you can query. It has a document editor for altering the document and it has a document composer which says this is what the user has currently selected. Um, and I didn't know any of those pieces going in, but by embracing aggressive composition, it forced me to eventually find those pieces. So aggressive composition actually becomes a software design strategy.
0: Now, was there any like major changes you had to make when you were working on the super editor?
1: I'm sure I have. In fact, I'm making a somewhat significant change right now i'm refactoring a lot of the layout widget api so that you have more control over document styling using style rules and i'm also i'm manipulating how information gets into the layout which should lead to some performance optimizations we um we have some known performance difficulties at the moment and They're known because they're not bad enough to be a priority to fix, but we know they're there. This change that I'm working on now should address at least one area of those performance issues by only redrawing the individual components in the document when that component changes. So like one paragraph might map to one component. We will only rebuild that one paragraph widget If the, if that paragraph is the only thing that changes, which is obvious, but that hasn't been the way it has worked up to this point because it wasn't worth the effort to make that true. But now I'm doing some rework to make that true. But what I will say is despite, you know, breaking the layout API to refactor it, everything else is the same. The mouse gestures, the touch gestures, the keyboard input, all the other pieces of that composite, I haven't had to touch them at all to make these changes. All I needed to do was pipe the right properties from the root super editor widget down to the layout widget I just needed to connect those pass them through but that's it everything in between is untouched
0: so I can if it sounds correct to me like I can basically at the super editor level um, do my changes which will affect all the way down to nearly the lowest level possible
1: well that's I'm describing the changes that I'm making as the person writing the package so if, if you wanted to work on super editor and you wanted to alter the layout system, you can just go down to the layout widget and make your changes there. And you're not going to have to worry about much of anything else. But if you are a user of the package right now, you don't have access to that. Be, well, you can, you could build up your own editor using the same layout widget, but if you're just trying to drop in the super editor widget, kind of the drop in solution for an uh, an editing experience, You only have a few controls there and this goes back to the idea about exploring the problem space. When it comes to having arbitrary control over a document layout, it's unclear what the invariants need to be like which parts change and which parts don't change. If anything can change, that's called a programming language. Like you can't abstract when everything changes. The concept of an abstraction is identifying the things that never change and then Um, providing easy tools for the things that do. I don't know yet what it means to have a completely different layout. Like right now we have this single column layout, which will work fine for blog posts. It'll work fine for productivity apps. It'll work fine for an Apple notes style app. It'll work fine for probably anything you're doing on mobile. But if you want something like a newspaper layout where you have multiple columns that go side to side, if you want to do a grid layout like notion, we haven't even tried to, uh, to implement such a thing yet. So it's unclear what needs to change and what doesn't need to change. So rather than try to predict a bunch of hypotheticals, when it comes to the high level controls in the super editor widget, I'm waiting until we see the real world use cases. And then I'm retrospectively figuring out what the constraints need to be. And in, in fact, recently I've been thinking that probably the way to facilitate those kinds of layouts is not to have one root widget at all, but to have the single column super editor, the grid-based super editor, and the newspaper column-based super editor, because my guess is that the differences between those layouts are so dramatic. They have so many cascading consequences that trying to make all of those possible with the same set of APIs, it'll probably start to, you know, you'll, you're, the API surface will look like this. You'll open up the, the API docs, and these will be the number of options that you have at that point, is it making anything easier for people? I don't know, it might just be better to have different widgets for, for massively different layouts.
0: I was just thinking it'd be really cool like if there was some kind of way that you can create like a, some kind of configuration so you can just like import a, a package that somebody can create, right? So like Super Editors is a very bare bones kind of thing. And then you can say import like, like newspaper style. And with that one, that one could be configurable. Then you just pass an instance in, and that can handle basically most of the traditional kind of uh, layouts of what you'd have a newspaper. Another one for code, right? And for the code one, maybe you can configure okay, these are the keywords. So make sure these ones are lit up as blue or red or whatever. This kind of stuff would be really interesting, I think.
1: It's definitely an idea that sounds great at the surface. And then you start digging into it and asking questions like, well, what would that look like? Like if we just imagine that we had such an API to begin with, what would that look like and how would we use it? And if the difference is literally only the size and position of content, you probably could do something like that. But what if, if you look at, at Notion, for example, Notion, not only is it a grid layout, but you can drag and drop anything in your document to anywhere else. So everything in the document is like this draggable block. Well, now you're also making modifications to probably to the gesture system. So you're not just changing the layout. You're changing touch gestures and you're changing mouse gestures. Uh, and then if you find yourself making any changes to the keyboard input, well, now you've made changes to everything. And so now you're not really configuring anymore, you're just creating a slightly different version of the, like you're making slight changes to all of the pieces. Now, what that could mean is that we've chosen the wrong pieces. We, we've identified the wrong, what are called axes of change. But I can't, I haven't been able to think of any set of configurable tools that would allow for changes in all of those different places while still having anything shared at the core of it like you could share an approach you could build an editor that operates in a very similar way that's a pattern but in terms of actually having classes and objects that are equally useful in both places i just haven't been able to think of it yet doesn't mean it can't be done but whatever that answer is i haven't found it yet
0: okay yeah i, I could see what you mean problem is that text editors i mean so the the real the original use case is basically for people to I mean like what's for Superlist at least right is that they want to be able to do like a, their to do list something like that right?
1: Well, they do have to do lists, but each item in that list you can essentially tap on it and open up an entire side pane of additional details. And if you have a team working, of course, your team might be concurrently editing those details about the item. And so those details are essentially a a little document that's tied to that to-do item. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. Because I I mean, I'm just comparing like to like, what I usually do is I put everything on Trello, right? For that one, there's not a lot of editing that you have. So I need to see more about what Superlist actually looks like. But I went looking at their website. I don't see any pictures or anything because I think it's still under development at the current moment, no?
1: I think they're in a closed beta right now. And so I I certainly don't want to spill the beans on any of their any of their private work. So there are people using it. There is an app that is being used and it it does have a UI and all those things, but I think it's a closed beta.
0: Have you played with it yet?
1: Yeah, I've got a copy of it running on, on my computer. We actually use it to coordinate some of our details for our weekly meeting.
0: Okay. So are you still, are you working with them on the edit on the whole piece or are you just working on just on the editor right now?
1: Just the editor. Um, you know, they've, they've invited me to work on Superlist itself Uh, but there's so much work to be done in super editor that for the foreseeable future, I'm just totally focused on super editor. If I bring on more bounty hunters to super editor, and I'm able to kind of spread that work out, then maybe I can go help Superlist with their product a little bit. But, you know, then again, honestly, it's probably the best thing for the entire community is for me to just keep sticking to the open source work because then everybody wins.
0: Now that's pretty interesting. Like when you talk with them, um, did you ask them any questions about like why they decided to go with Flutter? Because there's more than one way to do this. I mean, a lot of people just say go just target web and you can basically hit everything. Why? Why Flutter? Do you know?
1: Well, probably the best answer would actually just be to bring somebody from their team on this show, and you could you could talk all about that. I do know that they are they view their product as desktop first. They want a first-class, fully featured, high-performance desktop solution. They may go to web. I I don't I don't know if they're currently deploying to web or not. But even if they're not currently, them they probably will eventually. I would assume. But they're what they're saying right now is we want like the perfect solution on a Mac desktop, and then a Windows desktop, and then go from there. Uh, and as a result, I mean, on desktop, you know your options are you can do like the Cocoa UI stuff for Mac, I guess, or you could use QT or sup- one of those desktop cross-platform toolkits. You could use Electron, but I think, you know, I think plenty of companies have kind of complained about performance issues and, uh, and memory usage issues with Electron. So whatever the particular set of requirements, they decided that Flutter was their best bet, except that they needed a rich text and there was nothing in the entire community that, that really solved that problem.
0: No. That- there's a couple of things I want to say about about this one. One is um, I did do an app for a company and we were targeting Windows. They decided to go Electron because they had a lot of stuff built in web already. Not to mention with Electron, you could still do like push hot code upgrades for production, which is interesting. Uh, that's like Slack has a big wrap about how they do this kind of stuff. So that was something that made them look at that part. Uh, the other thing I'm kind of interested too is that Super Editor is not really made for... Uh, mobile, right? But if I think about it, a lot of times the ideas of to-dos I have is when I'm out and about, not sitting at my desktop. Like, I, I kind of wonder, like, why that uh, mobile is not more of a priority for them? Or is it just that just this editor is kind of like a subset of things that they uh, take pride in? Or I'm just kind of curious about that part.
1: So we're probably two weeks away from our second major release, which will include mobile editing. So that will be there. It, uh, at this point, it is a priority f- for both Superlist and Clearful. Both of them would like mobile support, and uh, and I've been working on that for a few months now to try and, and get that all figured out.
0: Okay, and I think I also heard that web is actually a, the, the second priority. Has that changed?
1: Well, web was web we've tested against from the beginning, and we we deploy a GitHub Pages version of that includes Super Editor um, as well. I don't know where web sits as an overall priority for Superlist, but it's I think we all kind of felt like whatever we build, it should be able to work fine on web. So we've always kind of run the app against web to make sure that it works and we've always considered web as something that needs to work with Super Editor regardless of what Superlist may or may not be doing with their product deployments.
0: Yeah, because I, I, I tried playing with it this morning using my iPad Pro, but when I tapped into the editor, no keyboard would pop up, which was uh, annoying, but uh, I'm aware of the situation. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, there's so f- first, you'll need to make sure that you're using the GitHub version, not the Pub Dev version, because the Pub Dev version is quite old at this point. Uh, we've only had one Pub Dev release. That second release, we're right about there. We're just trying to get a few final things figured out, and that release will include mobile. But also with the example app right now, you have to actually open that drawer on the left and you have to select one of the two mobile editors. There's an iOS style and an Android style. Those actually have an entirely different, those actually have the soft software keyboard integration. The editor that you bring up right when you launch the app, it only has a hardware keyboard integration. And that's because up to this point, that's all we supported. So I've been off building that Android and iOS version in a different demo in that drawer.
0: Now, to add the mobile support, like, was that tricky or was it just a couple of things here and there? What what kind of work was involved?
1: Yeah, it it was a lot of stuff. One thing is that we were blocked for a while because we needed what are called text editing deltas. Uh, So the Android and iOS operating systems, they fundamentally report text changes as deltas. They'll say, like, these characters were added. These characters were removed or these characters were replaced with these characters. That's how text editing actually works at the at the operating system level. But in Flutter's text input implementation, if you had a paragraph of text, Flutter would send that entire paragraph over to the operating system. The operating system would report a delta insertion deletion replacement. Flutter would do the replacement on the Android or iOS side and then send the entire paragraph back into Flutter so that you as a Flutter developer never actually knew for sure what changed. You just had the previous paragraph and the new paragraph. Well, if, when we're doing document editing, we have an entire document structure. We, the, the, who knows where, what the user currently has selected? Maybe they've selected across paragraphs. Maybe they've selected an image in there somewhere. So this, this all or nothing thing just wasn't... We, we'd have to essentially write our own diffing engine which is, is kind of a ridiculous thing to force us to do. So that's when I started having conversations with Justin on the Flutter team who's who's kind of overseeing part of the text input work and also there was an intern at the time Renzo and they were working on some tickets but we all kind of put our heads together and realized that some of the things they were working on as well as what was blocking super editor would be solved if flutter would instead send us the deltas instead of applying the deltas on our behalf just forward those pieces of information from the operating system into flutter and eventually they did that so we had we we were waiting for a little while for that work to be done and then we needed to wait for it to go from the master branch to the dev branch to you know the beta branch and then stable but then that kind of opened the door for us to implement mobile support like f- at a fundamental level we we had to have the deltas once we had them then we could do something about it <clears throat> the first major change was that in instead of handling individual keyboard buttons and presses, we now needed to have an object that knew how to take deltas, insertion, deletion, replacement, and actually make those changes to the document. Now, it's a lot easier, actually, to handle individual keyboard keys because when you press G... I know to insert the G character, and that's all there is to it. We're done. But with replacement, I have to figure out what part to cut out, which might not be one character. It might be 10 characters. Got to figure out what we're cutting out. And what we're cutting out might cut across paragraphs. Got to take that into consideration. Got to collapse the paragraphs down together. And I need to know how to insert one, two, or 10 characters, depending on whatever the operating system wanted us to insert that took a bit more work to implement. And in fact, it's not just not just those deltas um, from user interaction, but you have spell check on there, on your little keyboard. Spell check, <clears throat> if you ever tap one of those buttons, the editor, the operating system goes from having a single caret of insertion to creating what's called a composing region around whatever that misspelled word is, And then the operating system says, hey, here's a range of text that you now need to replace with this spell-corrected range. You need to handle that signal, which never existed with hardware keyboards. Had to solve those problems. Then there was the gesture input, which is totally different. You don't have just this nice little blinking carrot anymore. Now you have these drag handles. The carrot also can be dragged all around. (coughs) And the, the Android drag handles look and operate a little differently than iOS drag handles. So I went from one style of a blinking carrot, which was just a rectangle that you just blink over and over again, to a collapsed drag handle and expanded drag handles for mobile with an Android version and an iOS version. But those those dragging controls and the IME integration the IME input method engine, that's the software keyboard. Once I made all the changes associated with those two things, we could essentially say that we had mobile support.
0: I'm also wondering, uh, is, have you ever tested out like using different inputs from, uh, cause you brought up the term IME, right? So because I'm in Hong Kong, Chinese is definitely something we have to try to handle. So if you start typing Chinese using because usually they use like the regular, you know, ASCII keyboard, but they have a system called Pinyin, which is like a phonetic spelling of the characters. And so you would type the character with a phonetic spelling and then you have to choose which character you want to use. Like, have you tried something like this to see if it actually works okay? Or do you know this would have any problems?
1: I haven't tried it because I don't uh, speak or understand or write <clears throat> any of those languages. But in theory, I think that the, the operating system utilizes the composing region for that as well. The composing region, the same thing that is utilized for correcting spelling, I think is also used for the kind of replacement that you're discussing. But if you ever want to give it a try and let me know, feel free to go for it.
0: Yeah, I may want to because the editor is really nice. Uh, I I finally got a chance to take a look at it and I was quite surprised with how nice it looks. it's nice because it's minimalistic and it also you can see that it has a lot of a lot of work to it but i think it being so clean and minimalistic is probably an effort of all the stuff underneath the hood it's probably making it look that way but i'm sure it's listening to all the things you have to say it looks sounds super complicated
1: yeah i don't want to oversell it because again i don't want uh, i don't want people to ever be deterred from building things like this all this is a good time to remind everyone what i said earlier which was When I started this, I didn't even know how the insides of a text editing controller works. And that was just for text input into a single field. Uh, So over time, you get there. You just keep solving one problem after the other. But yeah, minimalism, I don't know that it's necessarily tied to complexity, but it is tied to that configurability. Uh, Assuming that you have control over something, then the more minimalistic it is, the more you can conceivably do with it. In fact, this can bring us to another area in Super Editor, which is Super Text Field. I actually re-implemented a basic text field, uh, building from a plain text widget on up in Super Editor, and I did that for Turtle because Turtle needed they needed a level of control over how text fields operate, and also with how you style the text within them. That the Material Text Field, like nothing in Flutter, would allow them that level of control. Flutter has currently a, a pretty serious issue of monolithic code in text. Imp- it's what? one of the areas where, in my opinion, they really didn't follow their own advice of aggressive composition. So you have these massive, you have like two or three classes that pretty much do all the text field work in Flutter. So you don't have a lot of control. You can change, you can send in the properties that they let you send in. So you can configure the shape and the carrot the way that Flutter lets you. Like, you can't paint your own carrot. In super text field, you can. Um, or at least I have a super selectable text widget. You can paint what you can paint your version of a carrot. You could have little sparkly effects fly up the screen where your carrot is if you want to with super selectable text. You can't do that with Flutter. Flutter simply doesn't... There's no API surface to do those things. And so minimalism is, is important from that standpoint, which is when someone wants a text field, what they want is to... N- Invent keyboard input, IME input, and drag handles. They should have control. And I take a similar view to the overall document, the overall editor experience. I want to give you the things that you don't want to ever see or touch, but the rest of it should just be up to you.
0: Yeah, I'm just sticking my head. That would be really cool. It would be cool to have if you would, if you could do some videos about how you can do like you know like you said the sparkles around the carrot, things like that. But the second question was about. Yeah, the stateful widgets why you decide to to work with stateful widgets first you you had some story about somebody talking to you about this i think i can't remember now
1: no i was just saying that i what i start with is a brand new flutter project what you see me begin with is a new project minus all the stuff that it all the widgets that it generates and what it generates is a main method an app stateful widget and an app state object but I guess my question would be, how would you do anything interesting with just a stateless widget?
0: I guess that depends on how you manage your code. Uh, a lot of times I try to abstract my business logic out and then there's like a builder within there. So the builder basically does all that stateless stuff. So it uh, depends.
1: I'd have to see that in practice because uh, it, you know, if, if we're going to, like one of those widget workshops, I draw uh, a stock chart. Uh, Now that's actually inside a custom painter. So I guess you could do that without a stateful widget. Uh, The face pile. I I think I put a spring simulation in there. I can't remember. It's one thing to have the faces or the the avatars defined outside the widget tree, but I don't think there's any reason to pull the spring simulation outside the widget tree. It's made to be a spring simulation in the context of a UI. So I, then this, this is where we run into confusion. Like when this term business logic, when it means whatever you want it to mean, then it means whatever you want it to mean. See, I, I wouldn't describe UI spring simulations as business logic. I would say that's part of the UI business logic would be the user accounts. Maybe the images tied to the user accounts. If they came from the user account, if you have any personal information about them, that's on the business side, that's outside the UI. Uh, But I, I, you know, I would look so like for all the people on the internet who talk about business logic, this and that, I would love to see everyone do one video where they explain in their world, where's the line between business logic and whatever you don't consider business logic. Because I assume the reason we say business logic is because something out there isn't business logic. Well, what is it that isn't business logic and where is that line? It would be interesting to see the plethora of definitions that we get from around the internet
0: this could be very complicated but like if you just take like an adding function which is kind of the default plug i think default plugin you usually get uh i mean how you get the numbers to insert into the function is is really more the ui but how you actually get i actually do the crunching of the numbers is definitely more the business logic at least for that example is quite clear but i can understand that for some things it can get very complicated um, yeah, like, like, like Super Editor itself. I mean, sure, all those pieces. I mean, you're going to be showing basically everything, right? The carrots, the selection, all those all have to do with UIs, right?
1: The display of it does. However, Super Editor has a pretty Super Editor does a pretty good job of representing the, the three major areas that I always talk about, which are the view, the presentation, and the business rules. There's a de- we have a definition of document in Super Editor, which is just a series of document nodes. That's entirely logical, doesn't imply anything about how you paint it. Document nodes themselves, they have an ID and they they may have additional information like a paragraph node is going to also have attributed text. That doesn't have anything to do with how you paint it. Even attributed text, even with the thing that has the bold and italics, doesn't know anything about how you're going to render it. And in fact, if your editor wanted to, You could render bold text as italics. You could render italics with an underline. Uh, You could replace all the bold text and throw some kind of inline widget in there if you wanted to. Uh, Those are completely logical. And I would say they are part of the business domain of Super Editor because Super Editor is about documents. This is the logical, non-visual, non-presentation definition of what a document is. Uh, what is a document selection? What is a document position? You could literally, you could destroy, you could get rid of the entire UI, and all of those classes would still compile. They have no compile time references on the visual stuff. And then there's presentation. Like right, I mentioned I was making some changes to the layout system in Super Editor, and one thing I'm doing is I'm I'm introducing this presentation phase where you go from the logical document through a presenter that works with view models. Now, these are data structures that represent what should be rendered, but knows nothing about the widget tree, knows nothing about how to actually paint them. Then the layout widget takes those view models, like a view model might have, might contain the text for a paragraph, might also contain the styles for the paragraph, might contain the padding around the paragraph. Those are all UI oriented, but the view model has no idea how to achieve any of those things. But the layout widget actually knows how to apply padding, it knows how to paint text, and it knows how to apply styles to the text that it paints. And there's your three divisions business, presentation, view.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Uh, so we have a uh, question from the audience, which is Is there any plans on using CRDT or similar data structures for shared data within Super Editor? Uh,
1: Superlist is. Working on concurrent editing right now. They've actually got it working on their end. Um, and this may, so some of the people who are using Super Editor right now might be surprised by this, but Superlist was actually able to get concurrent editing working with Super Editor as it exists today. And Super Editor does not yet have undo redo support, and it doesn't represent atomic changes to the document. So even in the absence of that, the Superlist team was clever enough to make that work. Um, now what they used, uh, all of a sudden I'm forgetting the name of it. the the alternative to that acronym that you just brought up, the other approach to concurrent editing, uh, what's it? Uh, something transform. I don't know if it, maybe that person in the chat can think of the name that I'm trying to think of. Uh, whatever that alternative approach is to concurrent editing, that's the one that the superlist team has employed up to this point. And I believe that their team will eventually release an open source package on top of super editor that gives everybody the ability to have concurrent editing with super editor using that approach.
0: Is that OT operational transformation?
1: Yeah, there we go. Operational transform. That's the academic concept. And then uh, I believe it's quill.js was built on with that basis. There are a few names that float float around there that I, get confused when I don't talk about them for a little while. But I think QuillJS is a JavaScript, either it's an implementation of Operational Transform or it is the editor that itself uses the concepts of operational transform under the surface. But that's what the Superlist team has implemented on their end. They have it working. I I will hopefully make it easier on them because one of the next things that I'm going to build for Super Editor is undo redo support, which requires Atomic changes the only way you can undo a thing is if you know the thing that you did uh, so that once that change is in super editor then any kind of concurrent editing or Shared representation that you want will probably be aided by that work But what we won't do what we won't do is ever marry super editor to any one particular approach Uh, So like if, if operation, if you want operational transform, that's going to be a package separate and on top of super editor. And if you, I forget the acronym that was mentioned, but I've heard of that one as well. The one that begins with C, uh, can you read that back to me, Alan?
0: CRDT conflict-free replicated data types.
1: Yeah. So CRDT, uh, there could be a, I probably wouldn't build it, but if someone wants to build a package that brings that to super editor, that could also be a separate package on top super editor itself. I want to be agnostic from any transport format, any serialization format, um, any overly specific docu- document structure. So we have to have some document structure, but right now it's literally just a list of nodes. We've kept that about as generic as it can be. Uh, I don't want to enforce anything much more than that because as people use Super Editor for different purposes, some people will just have in memory documents uh, that that just mutate some people will have a history based kind of time travel based document representation based on events or deltas some people will have concurrent editing with with obviously server integrations to make sure all of that stuff remains possible for them for as many people as possible super editor is going to remain agnostic to as many of those details as it can
0: yeah i would think most of this kind of stuff would be on the server side for doing the the diffing but you can actually do this on super editor your client side right well it's is
1: i think i think ot both of those sides have a role to play the server definitely does some things but the client needs to needs to respect i guess what the server tells it to do so the client still has a fair level of sophistication that it needs to implement
0: okay i've actually never heard of operational transform only heard of the crdt so that's that's interesting
1: yeah i think matt as again i'm i'm really uh noob in that space but my understanding is that operational transform has really been the standard here for decades it it came into its own around 2010 2009 2010 with google wave which was a product that, that google retired but the underlying technology was based on operational transform i believe and i think they still use that i think they use it in gmail i think they use it in docs i think it's used in a lot of places and then the crdt or whatever that is conflict I, I'm, whatever that one is I think that concept has also been around for a while if I remember but I think in just in recent times people are trying to use that idea to also implement concurrent editing of documents
0: Yeah, the same guy who, who talked about the CRDT he said that uh, YGS looks interesting I never heard of YGS before and that YGS would be a good community project to make us a Dart library I'm not too sure about that one Have you taken a look at YGS?
1: If I have, I don't remember. Does that person want to provide a quick description of what it is?
0: Yeah, we can ask him, John, if you can provide a a quick breakdown of why you think this, then we can definitely get to that. Let's also keep in mind that there's going to be a slight delay between YouTube and this, so uh, we can come back when he replies, if he replies about this. Um, Cool. I mean, so actually one of my questions is actually going to be like what's kind of the upcoming roadmap so uh the new version of super Editor that's going to come out pretty soon right with the next couple weeks or how soon do you think it's going to be
1: yeah i mean it's as quickly as we can get the last few things dealt with then we'll release it i'm just guessing probably about a couple weeks i think one week is probably too fast uh i would prefer two weeks over three weeks but essentially as soon as we can get the next version released It's going to be released, and we believe that we already have mobile solved nominally. Of course, there are going to be some bugs, and of course, there are more features we want for mobile, but in terms of like the MVP, what you absolutely have to have, we think we've got it, and so we want to release that to the public and let everybody use it. After that, sometime soon is going to be undo-redo, and somewhere in a similar priority level is inline widgets. The problem with inline widgets is that I think here again, Flutter did not really, so Flutter has some ability to have widgets in line with text, but let me, I'll give you the exact place where this breaks down in its current form. If you have some, some characters of text and then you want an inline widget, but that widget is wider than the rest of the line it pushes that widget down to the next line takes up some space and then start and then pushes the text below that widget so you end up really that inline widget becomes more of a paragraph widget paragraph which isn't what you wanted now where is this a problem well imagine that you're typing inline code so think about like on github or in markdown when you're typing inline code what does that look like well you it the code Yes, it has a certain text style, but it also has a rectangle around it, usually a light gray rectangle with rounded corners around your inline code. If your inline code is long, like you have a long method name or something, you expect it to wrap. You expect it to go to the end of the line, and then the, the inline code widget wraps down to the next line. But inline widgets don't support that. So you can't use text styles because text styles can't paint rounded recta- rectangles behind the text like that. Text styles also can't inject padding. So you can't use text styles. But if you use an inline widget, you end up with that paragraph widget paragraph thing which totally breaks up the flow of your text. Flutter is is lacking a mechanism for an inline widget to wrap itself. And in my opinion, that should have been pretty obvious when they solved the problem, and I feel like they solved the simplest version of the problem rather than the full problem. And so now, now we're stuck because we, you know, we can't tell people using our editor that we support inline widgets when you we can't even implement inline code. Um, so uh, I don't know if the Flutter team is interested in doing something about this. I have a write up. In the super editor project under discussions, I've written up all the stuff about inline widgets. I also proposed at the bottom of that, a change to Flutter that might solve this problem, at least an idea. There, no conversations have happened though. So I have no idea if the Flutter team has any interest in, in fixing this problem or making those changes. And so I don't know that there's any use in us even attempting inline widgets until Flutter actually supports such a common use case as inline code.
0: Yeah, I was just trying to find a discussions there's a discussions folder, right? Is that within the super editor editor itself, the the project or
1: So go to the super editor repo and then up at the top where you have like source code and issues and that stuff, it should say discussions. And when you
0: Oh, okay. The discussions part of GitHub. Okay. I thought it was actually in the code itself.
1: In in GitHub. And one of the discussions there should be inline widgets.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting when you're kind of pushing the limits of what you can do in default Flutter, right? So that's been You've learned more about Flutter than you probably ever thought you would before, no?
1: Yeah, well, you learn parts of it. I mean, obviously, when I was on the team, I I understood the Android part pretty well, because that's what I was working on. But now that I've worked with text, sure, I, my understanding of the IME system, my understanding of how hardware keyboards send events, my knowledge of testing those things, uh, my, my general understanding of what it even means to create a, a text editor... That for us, it's literally the text editor is just laying out widgets, laying out text widgets in the right place for the most part. Yeah, all that is new to me, and so I've I have a very different view now than I did a year ago, which is great. Um, but it's it's also like to find out that I can't even do inline code with Flutter is, is a bit disappointing. And the thing is, I don't think that's a particularly deep feature. So like you mentioned pushing the edges, pushing you know pushing the boundary of Flutter. Technically, we are. I'm kind of wondering why that's the boundary though. (laughs) Why is that something that Flutter up to this point can't do? Now they might say, well, nobody's asked for it. And you know, my guess is what's more than likely is that someone looked into that and when they saw that it was flat out impossible, it was so discouraging to them that whatever they were considering to use Flutter for, they probably turned around and went the other way. So you have to be careful with how much of your roadmap you base solely on requests you need to actually be a little bit curious about how you're perceived, because people also make decisions based on perception.
0: Yeah, actually, I, I remember when I did some checking around about Flutter, and one guy was kind of complaining that something in the Flutter Core Co was broken. Uh, it was some kind of, like, web server or something. I guess it's built into Flutter. Like, I, So his whole project was that you had, like, it was like a, a, a reader for ebooks or something and the way he did it originally and he tried to emulate the same thing is that there was actually like a server which would serve the, the docs over HTTP I, I, I'm trying to remember this based off of like looking at this a couple times months ago and I guess it's a core piece of Flutter and it was it's been broken for forever and so he basically said Flutter's crap because it doesn't support this thing which is part of core which I thought like I've never heard about this and I never thought about ever using it so to me it was like I don't really care because it's not something I'm I'm actually going to have to work with anytime soon. But to him it was a huge problem, right? So he basically said Flutter is not for me, which is kind of sounding like what you're saying right now.
1: Yeah, and uh, I would it's one thing to say that it's it's not for me if that person said, "Oh, this means Flutter is trash." That's really just myopic, self-centered uh viewpoint. So I you know, certainly I like the fact that that inline code can't really be created using uh, Flutter's text primitives, that certainly says a a certain thing for people who want rich text. Definitely that's not a good signal for rich text. But that that doesn't mean you shouldn't build a banking app with Flutter, right? So it's like, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But at the same time, when the Flutter team is justifying their roadmap, both what they're doing and what they're not doing, basing it solely on affirmative use cases, you're missing the converse. So instead of like, if you're, if you're just looking at what people are asking you for, you're missing everything that was missing that caused somebody to turn around and walk away because those points don't make it as requests. They're, they're silent failures. And I do, and I do think there are a lot of those. And I, I don't know that the Flutter team is taking an interest in those. And so that it's a bit of a concern that I have, but also to the now, I don't know the specifics of the case that you're talking about, so I don't know how core this thing is. I don't know how long the issue was there, but there is another another area of discussion here where I think you don't want to be too far on either side of this issue, which is the idea of a bunch of old open issues. On the one so on the one hand when you're working on a massively popular project, there are always going to be issues. And some of those issues are going to be open for a long time for various reasons. And some of those longstanding issues are are nice to haves, but they're not critical. And so that's why they remain open. But I, I think I remember a tweet coming out from the tech lead on the Flutter team who kind of said he, he made some comment about having really old open issues and said, you know, like that's called a successful project or something to that effect. I'm getting the words a little bit wrong, but it, it kind of trivialized the pain around long-standing open issues. And the thing is, again, if they're open because they're not all that important, that's one thing. But if you're keeping people out of the Flutter ecosystem for three years because they needed something that was an issue, a ticket that was open three years ago, or if you've required somebody to do double the work for three years. These are not things that I would be trivializing. Like that, that's a really big deal. And those people are, are rightly frustrated. Um, and just because Flutter is enjoying wonderful success now doesn't mean it will be in a year or two years. So rather than take it for granted and, and rather than say that, well, it doesn't really matter if tickets are open for a long time because that's just what a successful project looks like. Let's recognize that some tickets absolutely should not be open for three years. And some of the tickets that we've had open for three years are tickets that in my opinion should never have been left open for three years. And it's sending some really poor messages to the Flutter community for the people who care about those things. Um, At at a very minimum, I would ask them not to trivialize that and not to pretend that it's no big deal or to pretend that, oh, there's nothing we can do about it. That's just a, a successful project. Well, what you could do is put any member of the team onto that ticket and just get it solved. You could do that tomorrow. You're choosing not to. So maybe have a little bit of empathy for the people who are suffering with the open issues and lack of response, which as someone who's on the outside and has been for a couple of years, that is far more common than they might like to think it is. There are like, I'm pretty sure I opened a, an issue that has prevented me from writing web integration tests for a year and a half. My client who has a sole web product, I can't write integration tests because I can't execute like any asynchronous operation in the, in the integration test. I opened a ticket for that like a year and a half ago. And I don't think I've received one written human response to that ticket. I've tagged people. I've added stuff to it. I don't last time I checked, I don't believe I had a single response that has nothing to do with being a super successful project that, that has to do with really not holding up in my opinion, your responsibility as the shepherd of the project.
0: So what kind of reply? Like, let's just, I mean, let's be honest, right? There are some things that are more important. I think just because of the history of Flutter, mobile is definitely higher priority than web, although they're pushing web, right? Let's just kind of put that down for a second. I think solving the issues of mobile can theoretically maybe can be more important than a newer platform, which still needs time to be ironed out. Now, in that case, they probably put this one down, like what should they actually do like when 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 you have priorities which you know how do you actually manage these priorities and then still like make sure people know that, hey, we just don't have the resource to work on this? Um, and the only thing I've seen recently is that we talked about hot hot code pushing right in production, which what Slack has to do for their app, and that's why they use electron. There's an issue for Flutter about this, and uh, it's been open for forever. The team has actually talked about it on there and said basically you know we can't offer this because of different things and we have to basically re-architecture everything now what i heard from you maybe i misunderstood what you just said but is that you said they should just put somebody on it and basically re-architecture like that would take a long time to do right that's not the way flutter works but at least they kind of came out and said hey we we, we talked about this we looked at it we gave our input if you guys or anybody on, on out there wants to work on this, we're more than happy to give you some help on it, but we're just not a priority at the time. Is, 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 is that reply something that you think would be something that would actually help encourage people or like what kind of response are you looking for?
1: Let me go back to the new on the breakdown. Cause there were two pieces like the critical, the part where I was critical of the team was one piece, but before that was the part where you have to give the team some slack. So, Yes, there will always be open issues. On a project of this scale, a global project with hundreds of thousands of apps and millions of developers, there will always be a large number of open issues no matter what you do. Some of those issues will be old issues. That's also going to generally be unavoidable because if someone opens a low-priority issue in 2018 and it remains low-priority up to 2022, well, guess what? That's an old open issue. It happens. That's understandable. My point was that don't pretend that just because an issue is old, that, to, that for many people, it's not critical. Don't, like, just don't trivialize the, the problems that, that are created for other people based on a ticket being old. If the ticket is actually low priority, and that's why it's open, and that is the stated reason for why no one's working on it, I think we all have to acknowledge and accept that, even if it kind of irritates us but being unresponsive on issues, not even confirming that an issue is accurate, offering zero mitigations, showing essentially zero empathy for the person who's trying to invest in your technology with their career and their company, and then kind of um, kind of being hand-wavy about them, saying, like, you know, just stop overreacting to this. This is what a successful project looks like. You know, go eat cake. I don't like that attitude. I, so... I have a lot of empathy for both the team and the people using the product and both sides have their share of frustrations. Both sides should practice a bit of empathy. The Flutter team, all things considered is very resource constrained time, money, people. They're just a, they're, they're a relatively tiny organization and a much larger umbrella and they have a lot of competing priorities. We on the outside, we should all have empathy for that position, but also Based heavily on marketing from the Flutter org, thousands of developers have convinced their companies to depend on Flutter. So the org better have some empathy about the position that those evangelists are in when the people who convinced their director or their CTO to invest in Flutter, now they have a blocking issue. That issue's been open for two years. It's screwing with their app. They can't ship a feature. And nobody from the Flutter org even responds let alone offers any roadmap or timeline and even kind of just tells them too bad uh, on Twitter. I don't, I don't like that attitude. Have more empathy for the people who made your product successful and they're saying that they need something.
0: Um, okay, so how do you think they should handle something like this if they agree that it's an issue? I mean, there's different, there's different situations, right? Let's say that they, okay, it's, it's an issue, but it's low-priority. So do you think somebody should just reply and say, hey, we agree that this is a problem. We'll work on this, but we have uh, more important things to do at the time. Or what kind of response do you think would give the empathy and make people kind of encouraged to stick with Flutter?
1: Something like that is certainly important. If we go back to the ticket that I filed, <clears throat> the ticket that I filed on integration tests on web, it would be great for someone to just drop by and say, hey, yeah, just, just so you know, we reproduced the issue. Just so you know, we agree this, what you think is the problem is the problem. It's not you, it's us. That would be a nice start because uh, honestly, the the ticket I filed, it, at least for me, I can't write any tests. It was a complete blocker. Integration tests are just useless to me on web unless I'm misunderstanding something. So if they came and said, oh, actually you misunderstood this API, you should just do it this other way and your problem solved. Well, I could have been writing integration tests for a year and a half. That's the that's the difference. They couldn't <clears throat> they couldn't even be bothered to tell me whether I had found a fundamental problem in the integration testing system. So yeah, let me know whether this is me or whether this is you. And if it's you, do you consider it a relatively high priority because it's blocking all integration tests or most integration tests? Or is this a low priority either because you just aren't worried about web testing right now, or there's a mitigation where you can get the same result in a slightly different way. Any Anything that helps me do the best I can to serve my clients with Flutter while also representing their necessary priorities has to be acceptable. But if you're not bringing those two things together, if you're just reflecting your priorities but you're not helping the community understand, you're not helping the community mitigate, you're just leaving them to sit there and wonder... If anything's ever going to happen, I don't think that's healthy for the community. <clears throat> and again, I think I worry about adoption rates. I worry. So I think because Flutter has had such amazing adoption rates, the team, it's easy for the team to get used to the idea that no matter how unresponsive they are in some issues, what are you going to do? Leave our curve only goes up into the right. Who cares? The problem is, I believe adoption rate is a very lagging indicator, meaning the moment you see the adoption curve go the other direction, you're done. You've already lost. There's nothing you can do. By the time that companies are ejecting Flutter from their tech stack, it's already too late. There's nothing you're going to say to get them to bring it back. Going to solve that three-year-old issue now isn't going to get the company to re-adopt Flutter because of the switching cost. So I worry about that. I worry that the team might be resting a bit too much on the laurels of past success. And by the time it becomes obvious that things are going south, nobody's going to be able to do anything to fix it.
0: So basically, just in general, just acknowledging the issue, even till now, nobody's acknowledged your issue. I find it quite surprising because even for me, I, I got an acknowledgement within a few minutes and that was just from a community member, not from the Thutter team itself.
1: Somebody, uh, somebody put a label on it. So someone working on web, put a label on it. Now I, I will say it's, it's possible that a response in the, in the last few months snuck in and I missed it in my email, but I can say for sure that for a, a very long time, multiple months, uh, I was hoping to get some kind of response on there. And if I remember correctly, I do believe I went back once or twice and even added more an, an, an expansion of my thoughts about what because it seemed to me like it was a critical bug. And so I went back and I was like, unless I'm missing something, isn't this a critical issue for all integration testing on web? And I apologize if I'm misremembering the interaction, but I don't think anybody ever responded to me on that. Um, so it, anyways, even if I'm a little bit wrong about the timing on that, still that experience was nothing like what I think it should have been or what it could have been, what it reasonably could have been. Even if they couldn't go fix the issue, there, there was a much healthier and more helpful way to handle that ticket
0: do you think maybe because they saw it was you and then they just kind of left and said this guy knows what he's doing would we'll just come back to that later
1: <laughs> well if they saw it was me it probably would have been more like ah screw this guy we're not going to help him he's on his own um it i certainly i hope they wouldn't think what you said because if i knew what i was doing i wouldn't stop to write the ticket if i knew the answer i wouldn't ask the question. Now, if it was a bug and I knew how to get past it, I would file the bug and I would file the mitigation with it. I would say, here's the problem I ran into. It should be fixed. By the way, anybody else who reads this ticket, here's how I solved it. If I have that answer, I'm always going to post it. But I didn't post that answer. I said, here's what I'm trying to do, and I just can't do it. It's just this thing is blowing up on me. What do I do? So I don't think that there could have been a reasonable confusion that I somehow had a secret answer that I wasn't sharing.
0: Now, I kind of want to go back to a, another another piece I was thinking about, like this, these silent, um, I forgot what the words were used for, is silent something, were basically uh, maybe... Silent, silent failure? Silent failure, yeah. Basically, silent feature requests, right? So how can the Flutter team handle this kind of issue? I mean, if you don't, if it's silent, then how are you going to know about it? Uh, how are you going to be able to handle these kinds of issues?
1: In my opinion, every developer on the Flutter team should have regular conversations with actual people using the tool. And it boggles my mind that they don't. Now, there is one developer on the team that I have some reoccurring chats with, and I'm, I'm trying to get him to expand that a little bit so we can have a bit of a working group. I have no idea what's going to happen with that yet, maybe nothing. But if something does happen with it, I'll probably broadcast about it because I want to promote that kind of behavior. I want to promote the people, the developers on the team, actually talking to human beings that use the tool. Be, um, on the one hand, in our industry... Often developers think about themselves as being different from product designers because developers are just the implementation, right? That's the cute way to put it. Except when you're building an API, you are the product. Your implementation is the product. The APIs, the public APIs that you expose are the thing you're selling. You are simultaneously the builder and the product designer. Now, what do we know about every company with product designers that refuse to talk to customers? You get shit products. So in my opinion, every developer on the Flutter team should have regular conversations with people who are using the product that they're designing and building so that you understand, is this helping? Is this hurting? Is this frustrating? Now the Flutter team has a dedicated UX component or sub, sub uh, organization, but that's just a few people and they like there's not enough people on that team to seriously investigate much of anything. So I think they're the ones behind the quarterly surveys, for example. And I think they track various numbers. They do what they can as the UX team, but it's just not nearly enough. It's there again in a company having two or three anointed business analysts who determine what all the customers want. We know that doesn't tend to work out in, in general product development. Anyone who's designing the product, anyone who's impacting what the customer ends up with, they need to meet the customer. They need to understand the customer. So I don't want to see a dedicated, I don't want to see three dedicated UX designers. I want to see a team of people who are crafting APIs based on their understanding of the people who are using it. And I, I did my best to do that when I was on the team, when I was essentially creating a new version of the android embedding i was in regular contact with actual developers from multiple companies and i was talking to us like here's an idea that i have here's something i think we should do what do you think about this and what are you trying to build over there and what if i could give you the ideal api to do this thing what would that look like to you i was having these conversations regularly and that was altering how i was doing my job because the whole point of my job was to solve those people's problems so i would to, I guess, again, to answer your question, for me, the beginning of that of that solution is, if you're going to create public APIs to be consumed by developers, you need to have conversations with the developers who are consuming your APIs, and that right there will make a big difference, I think.
0: I think Chris Sells does an excellent job of kind of reaching out to a certain point, and uh, I don't know, at least I know that he's always available, right? And he specifically said, hey, listen, I always want to have like that relationship with developers. So if you want some of my time, I can give that to you because that's who he's kind of reaches out for or that's who he has to work with, right? Um, and I know... Chris,
1: yeah, Chris Sells is a, is a PM. So he he is available. He's good at being available. Uh, he, I think most of his attention is focused on enterprise clients. So he, he he may respond to you in chat. You may have a little conversation, but I think most of his... Energy is spent on enterprise clients, not individual developers. But even if, even if Chris did the most individual outreach possible, he's not building the APIs. He's not designing the APIs. He is simply someone. See like, that role, the way it's being used there. And of course, a PM can have many different definitions on different teams, depending on what company you work at. But if the role, if your role, is to be the one who hears what people need, and then transfer that information to the developers well we're right back in the movie office space aren't we do you remember that scene from office space where they're asking the guy what his job is and he says his job is to take requirements for customers and give it to developers
0: developers can't talk to people
1: (laughs) yeah he's i'm I'm a people person damn it exactly um Mm -hmm. so but the whole the whole point of that scene of the movie was to make fun of the idea that you need to have someone dedicated to simply handing information from this person to this person. Why don't you just connect those people? But the customer knows what the customer needs and the developer knows how to build it. Why don't you just, okay, sometimes there's a reason not to bring them together. This is not an argument for all things at all times, but assuming you can do it logistically, why would you not bring the person using the APIs to the person designing the APIs and have the synergy of both of those people connecting uh, about those needs?
0: Uh, but they also, the Flutter team also does quite a bit of like uh, testing, right? Like they reach out to usability testing or something like that, where they kind of, like I remember talking to Chris Sales a few months ago and he said that they kind of, um, they're going through routing, right? Because they want to have kind of like a choice for routing that they would kind of recommend to people. Same thing with their provider. And
1: like I said, there's a UX team. So what you're, there, there's a little, there's a very small group of UX I don't know if they're considered UX designers or engineers, but these people specialize in UX research and yes, they, they go take a very specific thing and they do surveys with it. They do direct, they, they observe how people use it. They do their UX stuff, but it's too little and it's too late. So the UX research on routing happened after the routing API was released. How does that? So after it was released, and everyone was like, "Oh my God, I can't understand any of this!" Someone save me. Then they did UX research on the routing APIs. It, that no, no, no. You do the, you do the research before you enshrine the APIs. And also, again, I would now I don't mind the UX researchers establishing the parameters of the ex- of, of an experiment. By all means, bring your data science understanding. Uh, bring your empiricism, but I still want the person who's implementing the new router to be core in the conversations about what the new router should do. I still want that person talking to customers. Even if the UX team is going to set up an experiment around it, I want that developer understanding the people and the problems they're solving directly.
0: Um, I mean, with Google also rewriting their Google uh, pay app with, with, flutter i mean don't you think that the, the flutter team's actually talking to at least some developers at least within google uh i mean
1: yeah for sure i was i was in a bunch of those conversations for google pay
0: so you think that's maybe not enough right because it's still siloed to google's issues and not to everybody else's issues
1: well it's, and it's also a, a 600 screen uh globally applicable app i mean that's and it's um in, in my mind the so the, the pay app Let's, let's just say I don't think that that's going to be representative of all sorts of... Like, let's let's look at Clearful. Clearful, one of the funders of Super Editor, they're working on a journaling app. Where where are they represented in that kind of thing? Which which internal Google app is going to represent effectively the needs of Clearful? Um, and by the way, it's not just needs. Like, so when I say bring those two sides together, it's not just so the developer can, can hear the needs, but the client, because the client is himself or herself, a developer, they will have ideas about how to solve the problem. They'll say, well, what about this or what about that? And the conversations... See, Google seems to appreciate this internally. Why do they have these micro-kitchens? It's so that you have a collision of ideas. Uh, so Google has enough respect for people within Google to have conversations, which then create answers. But apparently they don't think it's worth having conversations with people outside of Google so that you have the same collision of ideas. Or, or at least no one has talked about the value of that or something. For some reason, it's not happening, right? But, um, you know, for example, going back to text input, my guess is I could offer a lot of ideas to the Flutter team that would put them in a better position than if they just don't have any conversations with me at all. And yet, but for this one person on the team who I've had a, a few conversations, I have occasional conversations with this person. Other than that, Nobody is even the slightest bit interested what I'm doing or what problems I'm running into or how I might solve them. Uh, at most when I, if I'm on GitHub reporting issues, I feel like they see me as a chore, like dealing with me as a chore, right? But I shouldn't be a chore. I, we, we in the community are the reason you're building Flutter. We're, we're the goal. We shouldn't be an afterthought. Us working together, both, the Flutter team understanding our problems and ideas, as well as, again, those of us on the outside understanding the complexity <clears throat> and the priorities of Flutter, we should bring those together. Again, the, if we come together, the frustrations disappear because we can hear each other. The I think a lot of the frustrations on both sides come from the fact that we're doing this asynchronous communication on GitHub where people on both sides feel like they're never being heard. If you get on a call... My guess is within a few minutes, everybody feels heard you. The frustrations work themselves out real quickly. And then 10 minutes later, everyone's calmed down. They're like, well, you, what, what were we so upset about? What were we so angry about it? We get it. We get it. You guys have your priorities, but Hey, now you understand why, how we're blocked. All right. Here are the action items problem solved. Uh, I, so I bringing those two forces together, I think would make a huge difference. Now it is just a prediction. Okay. I maybe I'm wrong. But I believe bringing those developers to the users, to the developers who are leveraging the APIs, that would go a long way in solving some of these frustrations and missing pieces. Uh,
0: Somebody, uh, Rodrigo Lopez, uh, said that this actually might bring a lot of noise into the devs, the developers working on Flutter. Do you think that is a a possibility?
1: Well, I mean, let's, let's just think about what that means. Your customers' needs are noise. I mean, I agree. Some people would frame it that way, but that's exactly the problem. The things that I, as a flutter evangelist, the things that I need from flutter is noise. That's getting in the way of your real job. What's your real job? I thought your real job was to build flutter for people like me. So I, yes, people would call that noise. And the people who would call it noise are exactly the people I'm trying to reach with this. You you have misunderstood the nature of what you're doing. Um, I, When I was, again, working with outside people on the Android embedding refactor, I could easily have called it noise. Those emails showing up in my inbox, I could have called that noise. Instead, I saw that as an opportunity and a tool. And I'm very happy with the results that I got on the Android embedding, all things considered. And I think it was in no small part because I understood that my purpose was to give these people the things that they needed. My only regret was that I wasn't able to find more people outside the organization to help me craft it. Um, if if I solve everybody's problems on the outside, then no matter what I did, it was it was at least good enough. If I don't solve the people's problems on the outside, then it doesn't really matter what I did. It wasn't good enough. So to me, that's not noise. To me, that's the whole purpose. That's why... The Flutter developers are there. They're building Flutter for people who use Flutter, so they should talk to people who use Flutter.
0: What about people bringing conversations like, hey, uh, I want to use Flutter for making a 3D game engine with all kinds of physics and basically kind of doing Unreal or Unity's kind of things. Wouldn't that be considered kind of noise and a little bit distraction to the conversation?
1: So the broader question there is what happens with conversations that the team does not believe they need to have? Obviously, you don't have to accept every phone call, and I'm not saying that you do. But that's not what the problem is right now. It's not that they're taking 9 out of 10 phone calls. It's that they're taking 0 out of 10 phone calls. If we get to 9 out of 10 phone calls, you, um, great. That's an awesome improvement. That's plenty.
0: Yeah, because like, uh, so John Cumming, our friend of the show, says, uh, Wow, I've been looking for other solutions for several weeks. Feeling like I'm doing the right thing I love. Uh, I love Flutter. Yet would love to work with a 3D pipeline and see more mature packages. I mean makes sense but i think
1: well it's a well let's so i'm i'm not sure how long it'll take to respond in chat but tell us what you mean by a 3d pipeline like explain how a 3d pipeline is relevant to flutter because flutter is essentially a series of abstractions on top of skia a 2d compositor my understanding is that skia i could be wrong my understanding is that skia has no understanding of 3d in its pipeline except for the fact that it has Um, You know, it has fragment shaders, which you could apply in a certain extent. It may also have vertex shaders, but I don't believe Skia has any 3D specific capabilities. Uh, So one, I would like to know why would Flutter ever be the right place for that fundamentally? And then two, given that Flutter can render any texture from the GPU, why wouldn't you just do your 3D using an existing 3D technology and then just show that texture inside of Flutter wherever you want it?
0: John was the same guy who was talking about the YJS, so he did reply back about that a while back. But I think I'm just gonna bring it in right now. Um, YJS is a CRDT implementation that exposes its internal data structures as shared types. Shared types are common data types like map or array. Um, yeah, that was his reply back. If you remember that situ- that topic we had.
1: Well, what I what I will say is that if, like if if it's interesting to the point where companies would use it. Flutter bounty hunters are here, right? Yeah. You know, if there's a business problem that companies need that and they're willing to fund a Dart implementation, I'll I'll run the project. We can run milestones. Company if companies fund it, I'll put bounty hunters on it. I'll try. I'll go track down some specialists who maybe understand the the theory behind it, and we can get that built. We just need to make sure that there's enough interest and that there are funders on board.
0: Yeah, I think that could be interesting. Um, cool. Yeah, any any input or any uh, interest for the Flutter Bounty Hunters coming in from from companies right now, or is it just just the one right now?
1: I'm having some some conversations, nothing concrete yet. I expected it to be a, a kind of a slow drag. Also, you know, one of the things that tends to be true is that no one really wants to be the the first funder on a project. Which is unfortunate, but that's just kind of human nature. So once a project gets going and it's like at milestone three, and it has some funding, then other companies are like, oh, I guess this is a real thing. Sure, we'll jump on. Uh, and that, like for example, Super Editor, a lot of the early development was solely funded by Superlist. Superlist really took a risk on that project, and then later on, Turtle and Clearful found little pieces that they wished were in there, and then they joined the funding. I think once the momentum builds, it's a lot easier to get funders, but getting the project started is tough.
0: It's like the whole supply-demand thing, right? They they have a demand, but maybe they supply. They're not quite sure if it's actually going to meet their demand until they see something, and then they start throwing some money at it.
1: Well, I mean, it's, it's a lot. It's like, first of all, it's called Flutter Bounty Hunters. That sounds kind of weird. And hey, there's this guy wearing a cowboy hat. That's also kind of weird. And oh, you want us to pay for open source? That's kind of weird. So how many red flags can you accumulate? But um i think with this particular venture there are going to be red flags like that no matter what no matter how many cowboy hats i'm wearing or not wearing so i'm doing it you know doing it my way and i'm doing it the best that i can and my hope is that eventually more and more companies come around i think also when superlist eventually ships and everybody realizes that super editor made a big part of that possible then then again that'll be another signal like oh this is a real effort they know what they're doing they know how to build successful packages and hopefully over time it grows and grows and grows. But if, even if it's a great success, which it may not be, but even if it is, it's gonna be a long haul. And that is what it is.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um I think we went through basically you know, the, everything I wanted to go over. Is there anything else that's kind of going on recently with with you that you want to, to let people know about? Any upcoming videos you're gonna do a series about or anything like that?
1: Um well over, I will probably start doing videos where I can dealing with, I would like to use the Flutter Bounty Hunters channel to actually create videos where I educate other bounty hunters how to contribute, uh, because I want the bounty hunter group to be a, a very large group of people that kind of come in whenever they want to work on things. And so I figure part of that is probably educating people how to, you know, how to think about testing, how to think about software modeling, how to solve problems, because that's what they're going to have to do as bounty hunters, because we're working on the problems that nobody else can figure out in a sense um i i'm sure i'll also get back to educational videos on, on my super declarative channel i've been focused on processing for a long time we can actually talk about that in a minute if you'd like but i'll probably get back to some widget workshops i might do some um flutter challenges in fact one workshop that i want to do is i if when you uh when you enter email addresses in gmail those email addresses accumulate and then and then you you have like an invisible text field so you can enter the next one. And then if you press backspace on an empty text field, it deletes the last email address in the list. you know what I'm talking about?
0: Yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about.
1: Well, so it's kind of like the idea that you can, you type something in, you press the space bar and it creates a chip. Whether the chip's an email or something else doesn't matter. But one of the irritations that people have had with <clears throat> the existing Flutter text input for text fields is that there's no natural way to detect when the user presses delete on an empty text field. Well, with super text field, I can make that trivial. So I'm going to adjust the API for super text field to give that API out of the box. And then I'm going to do, I think a widget workshop where I show you how to build that exact kind of email entry with, um, with a super text field. And then I may also follow up with a flutter challenge where we build the entire Gmail, email composition system with actual rich text using super editor
0: yeah that i can imagine like you start to break up this package into some more reusable widgets that people could use in other places that'd be really quite useful
1: yeah i definitely need to break it down attributed text needs to be on its own super selectable text needs to be on its own uh, i don't know if i'll break out super text field because super text field shares a lot of the keyboard and ime handling with the document editor but the point is definitely some things need to be broken out of here.
0: Yeah, actually, I totally forgot. There was some interesting uh, questions I had for you. So I, I know that you're a big fan of kind of like don't include things, don't include like libraries that you don't really need. You have quite a few libraries in here, which I thought were kind of interesting. Like you have collection, which I've actually never heard of. Like, what, what, do I, what is collection? And why, why do you need to use that one for Super Editor at least?
1: To be clear, my point about including packages is external dependencies. Collection is part of Dart. Uh, and collection, I assume that it's being used for deep equality, comparing the contents of a list to a list, a map to a map.
0: But you have to include a separate package, though.
1: You're saying it's in the pub spec?
0: It's in the pub spec. That's why I'm asking about it.
1: And you're you're not looking at the example project, right? You're looking at the root package?
0: Yep. I'm looking at pubspec.yaml for okay. the uh, I'll have to go look. Stuff. I don't
1: recall what exactly that was for.
0: Maybe HTTP, which I think is quite clear, but although I'm, I'm kind of interested why you need to use HTTP in this kind of editor. I think the editor's offline.
1: Are you, are you sure you're not in the example project?
0: So if you go from Super Editor and then you click on Super Editor after that, that one is all about Super Editor. This is what I can see.
1: I'm going to have to open this up here.
0: <laughs> it's been a while, or, or maybe things kind of snuck in? Um, yeah, both. Yeah, so maybe you can kind of walk through why you're using certain things. Collection, I can imagine that some things within dark core maybe they kind of take out so that way you don't you know they can freely update those things
1: okay let's see uuids are you every document node is given a unique id so those are uuids not for any particular technical reason they just that was an easy way to generate ids um flutter tests are actually in the public dependencies because i provide apis for testing against super uh super text field I need to figure out if there's a way to move. Those shouldn't be there, but I just don't know how to avoid making them a public dependency for now. Markdown is in the uh, the package dependencies because right now we have a Markdown deserializer built in. That's eventually going to move to its own package and then we'll get rid of that dependency. Logging is in there for obvious reasons. We have logs all over the place. Linkify, I can't remember exactly what that does. I'm... But I think probably, probably HTTP and Linkify are both related to parsing image URLs in image nodes. Um, or actually, those might also be involved with Markdown parsing. So I'd have to go look to find out. And Collection, I don't remember. I wonder. I wonder if that was maybe something that eventually got built in to Dart. Let me go see what what Collection is on Pub. Yeah, I'm not it. My guess is I'm using it for some kind of a quality check, but I'll need to go, I'll need to go look in the source code again to find out for sure. But I mean, all in all, I think a a remarkably small number of dependencies for a package that does as much as this one. And again, at least some of those dependencies should be going away once I once I break apart the package.
0: Yeah, I I definitely think so too. This is pretty pretty small. I do find it kind of interesting that. 0.1 is quite a while's away. I mean, you haven't really updated us in, what, eight months, I think? But I guess it's because of the way, the amount of effort involved with kind of updating everything, right?
1: It, mobile took a long time. So, I mean, other things have happened since then, but our goal was always to have the next release include mobile. And that, again, remember, it included discussions with the Flutter team to find out that we were blocked and then have the Flutter team make changes to unblock us and then have those changes roll to the appropriate branch and then to actually build the solution. And then we spent a number of weeks with various teams, trying it out, finding bugs, fixing bugs. So it it took a long time to get mobile rolled out. Our goal after this release is to have a much more regular release cadence with hopefully smaller pieces of functionality per release.
0: Yeah. The other thing I found interesting when I I watched your, your video just before we went on on, uh, over here and, um, you did mention that like documentation is going to be a little bit sparse, so is that kind of really the way you want to keep going forward with this? Is that you're just going to document things that are just very complicated, only when people kind of request about it? Or that's just really what you want to do for now, so you can focus more on actual development?
1: What do you mean by documentation? What kind of artifacts?
0: I think the Dart Docs, what I'm thinking about, that's what I understood from your video. You mentioned that you didn't document a lot, but maybe I misunderstood something.
1: Well, as a, as a rule, I expect every public class and every public property and every public method to have a dart doc description. So I think actually compared to, compared to many packages, you would find that we have remarkably thorough dart docs. What I haven't done is write a bunch of guides. I haven't published videos. There aren't design docs and diagrams for everything floating around. And a big part of that is a lot of things are still in flux. Um, let's talk about the way that you actually end up building a project like this. There, there's a lot of time that's going to be spent exploring the problem space. Like even after I solved the layout problem, I hadn't even begun to solve the gesture problem. And by the time I solved layout and gestures, I hadn't even dealt with mobile input. Every time that you introduce a, a large additional problem, it can have any number of, cascading consequences to the work that you've already done. There's no telling how much rework you have to do on what you've already done. If you're trying to put out polished guides all along the way, you're constantly breaking everything in your guides. It's as if you created a whole other code base that you're, that you have to update every time you update the actual code and whatever the outcome is, I mean, what what, most likely what's going to happen is you're going to have guides that are hopelessly out of date that don't make any sense. But if you keep your guides up to date, all of that work is work that you're not spending solving the next problem. In the early phases of the project, I just want to get the big problem solved. My hope is that like one with layout and mouse gestures, physical keyboards, touch gestures, IME input, undo, redo. My hope is that with all of those things solved, we will have a strong enough basis where future changes extend what we've built rather than alter what we've built i don't i can't promise that but that's my hope and so at that point i can start spending more time on documentation because there's less of a concern that the very basic concepts are going to change out from under the documents
0: okay that, that makes sense uh, okay i don't think there's anything more i have about super at the current moment uh, but we do have a question from the audience now which i think is actually something you've talked about before uh Rodrigo Lopez asks, are you going to push Flutter processing forward? Which I think you're planning to do that, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it depends what you mean by push it forward. I'm going to kind of wrap up the project, at least from a video perspective. So I've already, I've already poured it. So let's, let's start with what processing is. Processing is a set of Java APIs and an integrated development environment that was created around the year 2000, which has been used to teach a lot of people how to do visual programming. It's like visual arts for for programmers. So one, it trains you how to think like a programmer. Two, it allows you to quickly prototype things. So people will put up art installations based on processing code. It's just a very rapid way to paint pixels and animate things. Well, at the beginning of 2021, I decided that I was going to take those APIs and port them to Flutter so that people who are using processing for education, they could teach with the Flutter version, which would give you both the power of processing and knowledge of Flutter, which you could then turn into a career. So my hope was that it would spread Flutter education. I published, I don't know, 60 videos in uh, 2021 Where I actually show the process of porting processing to Flutter. I also have a number of videos where I actually use Flutter processing to paint things. Like I created a little version of the snake game where the snake eats the food and you try not to eat your tail. Uh, I created um, a random walker simulation. Uh, I created a painted Perlin noise. Um, I painted, animated a phyllotaxis pattern, which is like a floral pattern arrangement my goal in this quarter so my goal between now and the end of march is to finish implementing any final apis that i think are a priority put up a website that talks about flutter processing and is nice and polished as a marketing page do any final example exercises in the repo that seem relevant And from there, it's on everybody else. I've kind of done as much as I can to create the project and to put it out there. If other people come to it and they enjoy it and they want to use it, that's great. I'll provide nominal support for bug fixes uh, where it makes sense. But at, at this point, if, you know, I haven't really been able to get people to use it. And so if other people want to evangelize it, that's great. And maybe that'll get it out there, but I can't dump too much more time into that project than I already have.
0: Where are you spending most of your time? So you're working with mostly um, Flutter Bounty Hunters and also the Super Editors. Is there anything else that you're working on?
1: Well, Well, primarily I work with a mortgage company on their products. So that's kind of like my day job. And then Super Editor in particular is where I spend most of my development time outside of that. And then general organization stuff for Flutter Bounty Hunters is what I'm focused on beyond that.
0: And is Flutter Boundaries just starting to grow right now or just interest is just picking up, I'm guessing?
1: It's very slow. So little conversations here and there. Um, I think once we have, you know, maybe a half dozen active projects, things will really pick up. But for right now, it's still, it's, you know, it's like, well, getting the word out there <clears throat> isn't all that easy, especially getting the word out to companies. Like, wh- where do you go to actually get a company to take you seriously? You, know, you could like obviously posting ads to Twitter and Facebook is pointless. You could go over to link, get LinkedIn and post some ads. but what was the last co- company that that actually <clears throat> chose to take an action based on an ad on LinkedIn? I, I just don't know if that's reasonable. And in-person conferences obviously haven't happened for the last couple of years. Virtual ones. I don't know how many companies are tuning into those. So figuring out how to contact companies is difficult. And then even if I do, even when I have conversations, there's still a lot of convincing that needs to be done because right now, super editor is still like the project that represents this idea. We don't have, like, we don't have six super editors. We have one super editor. And so I think we need a bit more momentum to really make the argument strong.
0: Yeah, Actually, actually I do have one question about this, right? So. Flutter Bounty Hunters it has a separate group I believe on GitHub, but this project, which kind of is like the initial project for Flutter Bounty Hunters, is actually not underneath the umbrella. It's actually underneath Wonderless uh, umbrella. Is that going to be for every project? Sorry, Superless umbrella. Is that going to be every project's going to be like this? Whoever's kind of the main backer will get the kind of hosting rights to this.
1: No, by default, I want the n- new projects under the <clears throat> under the Bounty Hunters um, organization. One, I want that to be the case, so that anybody on the bounty hunters has admin access without needing admin access to a company's uh, other projects. Two, if any fun if any funder disappears, I don't want the project to risk dying. Uh, Superlist was different <clears throat> was different for kind of two reasons. One is it was started before Flutter bounty hunters existed, and two, they have been so significantly the primary funder that it was like, listen, if you guys have a strong opinion, if if you really want to put that under your repo, then go ahead. And so and that was their preference. In the future, if there is a, a major project with major funding that demands the same thing, I'm open to it. But by default, I want to start accumulating these in the Flutter Bounty Hunter org for those two reasons that I mentioned.
0: Yeah, okay. Those those definitely make sense to me. Um yeah, I don't think I have anything else to, to say. Is there anything else you wanted to um to to say before we start the wrap up?
1: Well, everybody should like, share and subscribe both this interview and our last one and all other things that we do. So, uh, you know, anyone who's watching this can find me on Twitter at superdeclarative, on YouTube at superdeclarative, superdeclarative.com. That's all. Education, consulting, that kind of thing. Flutter Bounty Hunters are at Flutter Bounties on Twitter and FlutterBountyHunters.com. We're also Flutter-Bounty-Hunters on GitHub. If anybody would like to consider joining the Flutter Bounty Hunters at some point, you can email me through the website. Also, if anybody watching this would like to fund any projects, either join funding or fund a new project, you can also email me about that through the FlutterBountyHunters.com website.
0: Now, is there a uniform requirement or is it just only you for your GitHub today?
1: It's no requ- it's no requirements, but, uh, encouraged.
0: So can I, is it okay if I wear like a fleas outfit, which is the briefs and a guitar? Or is that maybe not, not appropriate?
1: I guess it depends how good your work is.
0: <laughs>
1: if, you, if your work is good enough, I guess you can wear whatever you want.
0: Okay, good. So there's no dress code. That's always very attractive. So, all right. Um... Yeah, I, I appreciate it. And I think the Fluttered Bounty Hunters is definitely a, a fantastic idea. And I think that with the way the world's going with uh, the virus situation, it's definitely going to be something that people can be looking at. They want to be able to get, you know, great projects that they can keep using. And if, you know, somebody can use it, like if they can use it, I'm sure other people want to use it, too. And so if everybody can chip in a dollar or whatever, some type of m- nominal amount of money it will be something very, um, what's the word for that? Affordable by lots of small businesses and even bigger ones, of course.
1: Yeah, that's the idea. I mean, if if multiple companies need something, you can split the cost. Because, you know, what would these companies do uh, without, like, what what's the other option? Well, the other option is that five companies invent the same thing five times and they pay the full price each time. Like, that's the alternative. So how about instead of that, we recognize that all five of you need the same thing and that you all pay one fifth the price and you still get the solution. Uh, and you can split the cost on bug fixes moving into the future.
0: It kind of reminds me of like that joke. You always see like, you know, Oh, I have a better idea of doing this and they have a new standard. So, so many different new standards for every single implementation.
1: Yeah. the, The solution is always the, the next protocol or something like that. Um, Although you know sometimes the answer is a new protocol it's just not always the right answer
0: new protocol new package right because every single one has a different focus so it could could be interesting okay uh, again thanks for your time uh, hopefully next time if we have you on again you know the internet will be a little bit better hopefully we will be better too and uh, we will uh, not have this problem again
1: we'll see time will tell
0: all right thank you so much for joining us
1: Have a good one.